sake. Good evening and welcome once again to the FFS podcast. I'm your host Pratty once again and this is episode number 5 of season 4 of the FFS series. Now if you're joining joining us here for the first time, the FFS series is our main series where we talk about the biggest topics in the world of football. Um so anything whether it be women's football, men's football, international football, domestic football, we cover it in this particular series. And for episode number 5, it's it's a very special episode because it is in continuation to an episode that we did last year talking about the NWSL in America. And a year a year on or less than a year on or yeah I think it would be a year on since then we there's been new developments and so we're back here talking about it catching up basically and helping me in this podcast and joining me on today's episode we've got Theo uh, who was on the previous podcast uh, episode as well talking about the NWSL so I'm glad we could have him on here to have some continuity talking about uh, of course the recent recently issued Yates report and we'll talk about everything to do with that uh, so welcome Theo I'm glad we could have you back on here uh, how's it going and why don't you tell us a bit about yourself to those of to those listening who haven't heard of you before well thanks so much for having me uh Freddy um you know congratulations on four seasons of the podcast by the way that's amazing thanks. it's not always easy yeah. you look fantastic you sound fantastic Um, so you're doing all the right things uh, in regards to creating media. I wish you called me uh, on better occasions, but uh, I'm very happy to be here. And uh, yeah. you know, we we can obviously talk about some of the tough stuff, which we need to. You know, at the end of the day, we're all trying to make the sport better. So the conversations have to be had. Uh, yeah, I write for a website called The Striker, some other places, do a bit of podcasting, anything anyone wants me to when it comes to talking about football, uh, women's football in particular. And um, yeah, mostly cover the NWSL. Do a little bit of international. Uh, Covered the Houston Dash very closely. I was in Houston last night for the end of the quarterfinals. They lost. If you didn't see, two um, one uh, uh, goal in the hundredth minute. Uh, injury time. Ten ten nine ten minutes of injury time. Oh, Absolute wow. heartbreaker. I know. Can you imagine what a way to lose a match? Yeah, exactly. uh, it was also you know shout out to Kate Del Favo who scored the goal, her first goal of the season. So for that to be your first goal, just going yeah. right exactly. You know. 10 minutes into injury time. Um so more than anything it was a great moment bit of drama you know proper football it was it was a lot of fun even if you know I think for the 14 15,000 dash fans that came out it was a bit of a heartbreaker amazing crowd amazing atmosphere um yeah it was it was a great game and I feel very privileged to cover these players and I think it's a good place to kind of transition into what you want to talk about Brady where you know we should also talk about the football these players are exceptional athletes they're some of the best in the world at what they do and what they've had to deal with what they've had to get over to put on great matches great moments like last night where i was is is incredible that they've managed to battle all this you know abuse and trauma and advocating for yourself and change and all the things we're going to talk about and yet they can still get on the pitch and do amazing things so coming in themselves a privilege because these players are, are very very strong yeah. people Yeah it's not easy to do that to keep no. to put all the trouble behind you and still you know do your job for the 90 odd or 120 odd minutes it's it's insane the mentality that these players have and it's i know we this is quite deep in terms of we talking about sexual abuse and sexual harassment but even just a basic sort of troll that you get online you know you know how social media works right so one bad performance and players get criticized left right and center by fans and it's not the nicest of things to read about but yet they keep doing it on a regular basis coming onto the pitch do trying their best putting 100 to 120% of their effort it's insane how they do that it, it, i mean you would think that a normal human being would just sort of break down and say screw it i'm not going to do this if i'm not going to be if i'm going to be criticized if i'm going to be racist uh, racially insulted if i'm going to be all of those things like it's not worth it but it, it uh, hats off to them i would if if i had one but it, it's insane it's insane how they do that but i suppose like to go back to what you started uh, by saying you know we it's sad that we having you on here for this t- sort of topic I, another friend of mine or uh, someone that i know from the podcast he said 
journalism has become such that we kind of we think that the biggest stories are the ones that aren't the most positive ones so the negative yes. stories biggest stories and um to be fair in this particular season we've done five episodes uh, four episodes so far all of them have been negative topics <laughs> to be fair <laughs> next one next one could be positive next one could be positive yeah hope actually to be fair okay the first one wasn't negative it was talking about um you know managerial academies and all that but the next three was we talked about the spanish uh, the uh, the incident that happened with the spanish team women's team where the 15 players decided to withdraw their names then before that we had a premier league sexual orientation talk where that's what is going to go that's what's happening and mm-hmm. uh, I, i might have oh i think and we were speaking about indian football also being india being banned by fifa for a few days so that that wasn't a very pleasant topic as well so um yeah so <laughs> they were the aif the federation was banned by fifa for a few days and it was all chaotic and then they reinstated all of that's fine right now but yeah not the most happiest of seasons to be covering but let's talk about this particular this particular yeah. report that's come out by uh, called the yates report in the nwsl so first off just to lay a good enough foundation for people who joining in or listening to this later on who don't know much about it so who is sally yates and why was she hired to do this particular report Um she's the former attorney general of the United States of America a few years ago so she is a very kind of recognizable respected name in American law American politics so why she got involved i suppose is the US Soccer Federation the kind of the USFA it's their way of saying you know we're taking this seriously and we're going to get the best person on the job to see that abuse in women's professional football soccer uh gets better and it is kind of the, what happened is found out and and Sally Yates is she did a very good job to be fair to her so they got the right person but i think it was it was a bit of a statement to get when when Sally Yates was added to the case you saw a lot of people go wow that's a that's a big name that's a proper lawyer that you know she's not going to take no for an answer she's going to find out what really happened and i think you know where we were a year ago where we spoke it was the sense of we were at the tip of the iceberg and things were really, really bad and there was all these secrets and there was all this cover up and so Sally Yates in a way was was the kind of this is really going to come out what she found and and you you know the first thing i would say to the the viewer or the listener is go and read the report it's it's a public document you can go and find the link and check it out it's 300 pages long it's very traumatic i'm not going to go into detail what's in there prepare yourself if you do want to read it or do, don't want to read it But Sally Yates did a fantastic job at, at being thorough um, into the instances and coaches that she wanted to look into. So she is, yes, a very recognizable name, and she added a lot of kind of clout and reputableness, reputability, you could say, to 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 this case. Yeah, we can we can come up with new words on this podcast. I have no problems. I, we don't need to be grammatically correct in any sense of the way, any sense of the word. uh but let's talk about okay so it was the US soccer federation that then decided that it was Sally Yates who would come up with the report Correct. that's yeah. quite damning that's quite damning to the NWSL in the way that the federations clearly say you can't handle your shit i have to get an independent yes and no so the US soccer federation used to run the NWSL until 2020 so it's a little bit okay. of they were calling the investigation on themselves Right. It's, okay. it's 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 this is the tricky thing is you got to remember is US Soccer Federation is responsible for a lot of the damages and the cover-ups and the systems that men coaches could get away with abuse. So it, it the US Soccer Federation again were were kind of looking at themselves and saying we've done a bad thing. We're calling Salieres to show you that we are going to try and fix ourselves. I- included in that is the NWSL. They were run by US um Soccer Federation until recently and now you know they are independent um but the NWSL will have a investigation of its own being published in a few months which is sort of the just NWSL investigation so again this is where it's complicated because Sally Yates was really there to go into the US Soccer Federation stuff which blends into the NWSL but we're going to have more stuff coming out more trauma more case studies more coaches 
more, 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 all bad stuff is on its way with the end of Excel doing their own independent investigation with a different law firm. So again, the Sally Yates one, what's really important about it is it's US soccer saying, hey, we're taking this seriously. We're going to change our ways. But this story, these ideas of abuse, these ideas of coaching be, being so problematic in the United States of America. And to be honest, I think everywhere else as well, but maybe in the US, it's just the systems have let it rot a little bit more. Um, you, you, you've seen them kind of like make a statement in how they want to deal with it, but the story is going to keep going. All right. And I, I suppose, yeah, of course, uh, I suppose this also, I, I mean, I have to ask the question as to why it took so long, because we all know. I wish I knew. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, but do you think the athletic article, which we did talk about in detail in our previous uh, mm. episode, uh, was that the trigger point for the U.S. Soccer Federation to say, okay, I have to take this now a lot more seriously. It's getting international attention. I need to take that a lot more seriously so I will get Sally Yates because this could have been done any time in the past eight years, in the past decade. Like we've had, I think, sort of the cases which have gone back since 2014, 2015. I think that was probably the earliest that I've read about. Maybe it's earlier as well. But we're talking about at least going back a decade. So the US Federation could have easily come back and come out at any point in the past decade and said, listen, we've got these many incidents, but we want to get you know, an independent authority to come and do this report. But do you think the athletic article was this sort of trigger point that said, okay, now we can't delay it any further. It has to be now. Absolutely. Well, yes and no. I, absolutely, it was the trigger point. But I think the real trigger point was the athletic article forced the NWSL players to protest and they cancelled matches. They held a protest on the pitch on October 6th, 2021. And I think that they forced the league and therefore the federation to say, hey, if you want us to play, if you want us to you know, build this thing that you're so proud of, we're going to have to change it from the inside. And so the Athletic Arts article kind of sparked, like you said, international attention and it, it sparked an uprising by the players. And that then, in turn, made the U.S. Federation do something. So, yes, the athletic article was essential, but there's there's a couple of other parts. Fair enough. Uh, I guess that that does make sense. Of course, uh, let's talk about in brief what the report was supposed to encompass and what it did. So, according to, I mean, we obviously it is talking about the sexual harassment cases, sexual abuse cases by men coaches in the NWSL, but you know, what did the report set out to do and what did it actually do before we come to the recommendation? But what was the aim of the report and what did it actually encompass? The aim of the report was to, you know, like I said, get the actual facts, get someone who knows how to do digging and investigating and, and interviewing and reporting to find out what is going on. And, and the kind of second part of that was once we see what's going on, how do we diagnose it? How do we see the connections? And so Sally Yates in her report, sorry, my cat is being very loud if, you, if you're picking that up. Um, Sally Yates in her report talks about how a lot of these systems or natures or behaviors were first seen when in her investigation, she felt like they were first seen in, in youth soccer, youth football. So she, a lot of these coaches, they coached young children, young people and then they kind of see those controlling mechanisms they get used to those aspects of control blurring those boundaries taking advantage of people and then they then do those with adults and so that was sort of part of the investigation was she felt all the evidence she had all these stories track back to youth and young and young people playing football and so that was kind of something that she not only looked at incidents that happened to adults but sort of she traced the root of them. And, and then obviously that the kind of the last part of the report is her giving recommendations about, you know, and they want to have a new kind of committee coalition uh, in US soccer who just deals with complaints about player safety. They want player safety officers at every club in the NWSL. They want, you know, more resources, more coaching, like uh, more education for coaches when they're getting their licenses um, on what is okay, what, what is not okay. I mean, basic stuff. This is not like, you know, yeah. big news. But that's essentially what she kind it's of It's something to. that should have already been there. Something that should have already been there, exactly. And so she basically points this out. She's like, hey, these are all the blank spots that should have been filled in. I think when you say what was it meant to achieve, I think it was meant to kind of reveal everything that was wrong with US soccer. 
which I don't think it did because to some extent it focused on three individuals, three coaches, um, and went into a lot of detail on those coaches to be fair to Sally Yates. But, you know, I was in the press conference on the day it came out and Sally Yates spoke to the media and she said, hey, I could have been here all day. You know, it took her a year and she could have been doing this for 10 years. And she said that she was like, I had to keep this as, as brief as I could because I want it to be public. I want to see change. But there was, she, she said she was overwhelmed and she said some clubs wouldn't give her information. Some coaches wouldn't give her information. She felt like she had to work really hard just to get these three coaches kind of in, in, the, in the report. So did it achieve everything it can? I don't know. You know, she herself said, I think youth soccer is the source of all this abuse. And she said, I don't think we have enough time to investigate every person, every coach in youth soccer in the United States. So in some ways, she, she knew the limitations of what she could do. And it's about now coming up with recommendations, better education to stop this from happening. But I think at the end of the day, you know, and like I said, the NWCL is going to have another investigation being published in about five weeks time. This, this story is going to keep going. It's going to take a long time before we change culture. No, definitely. And a couple of things to pick out from this. So uh, talking about focusing on the three coaches, and again, I think we've, we did talk about them in greater detail in our previous episode, but like I suppose given the deadline that she may have had with the report, I suppose that was a starting point or uh, like get the three coaches that were actually found to be guilty of sorts, uh, start with there. And I suppose the the aim overall would have tried to be cover as many as possible. But unfortunately, you know, time is only, I mean, we've got only limited time and that we've got only so much time. And I don't know if she had a deadline to prepare and submit the report. Did she? She, she sort of said uh, she felt like the three case studies that she had three coaches and all the all the systemic stuff around them so for example the owners failing to act the league failing to act talking to people who'd been with them at other clubs you know it's not just like three coaches it's all the people around those coaches she felt like those three examples were enough for her to make the point that there is a systemic issue of abuse in US soccer and the NWSL so she felt like she didn't need any more um, examples. She felt like this is yeah. enough evidence. And so I think that's kind of where oh, she's yeah. coming from, is that I, I don't need to do any more reporting to tell you you need to fix it. But okay. there's more there's more issues out there. Fair enough. So, I mean, a pretty representative sample than those three, because they exactly. pretty much encompass everything that you... That is inherently wrong with US. Which, you know, to, to pick out a couple of things is, you, you know, roots in youth soccer people making complaints and those complaints not getting reported. Ownership groups not reporting complaints to other teams when coaches move around. Um, you know, these are the kind of things that were happening time and time again. Coaches spending the night with players, coaches, you know, spending private time with young kids in youth soccer. Um, not necessarily, like, I'm not saying that was sexual, but like unsupervised time. Again, we're talking about actions of control, actions of, of manipulation, just coaches overstepping the line was a theme that she had multiple examples of. And again, it's like you could find where loads and loads of coaches out there did this, but she had three coaches who were consistently doing this, and that kind of showed you there was a pattern. And I suppose it's also easier because you've got the information or you've got enough evidence already for these three coaches. You've had players talking about them publicly. You've had all of that. I suppose. If you were to do for the others, it would take longer to find evidence for those particular coaches as well. Yeah. So, fair enough. Okay, I, I think that makes it. But you did mention that there were, and I read as well that there were teams and players, um, teams and coaches who refused to give information. Now, this is yeah. important, right? Because this is supposed to be a very comprehensive report, and I, I, this is not to blame. Uh, I'm not saying anything wrong with the Yates report, but and. As a journalist, you also would know that you know when it's tough to get information out of people, it it sort of is really really frustrating because that is that is vital and especially for a report this important, that would have been vital to get. Now I want to get to know if when from you as in, like when you read about it, when you read about that these certain teams did not come forward and help the report, were you surprised by it or did you expect that to happen given? the inherent system, systematic or systemic 
issues in U.S. soccer? I mean, that's a good question. I think your basic estimation for how bad and evil people can be, I guess, keeps getting lower. Um, so I, 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 I thought they were bad and maybe there was stuff in there where I was like, I didn't realize it was this bad. Um, I think something that was another pattern that we saw when it comes to information being withheld is people signing non-disclosure agreements. So let's say you play for a club. Let's say you play for Liverpool. Part of your deal with Liverpool is when you leave Liverpool, I'm going to make you sign a document saying you can't talk about what happened at Liverpool after you left Liverpool. And that was something that kept coming up, whether it was players, whether it was coaches, whether it was uh, you know, other people at the club, staff members. They said, well, I legally can't tell you what you're asking me because I've signed this document. So the, even, even if it was legal, even if it was like the, the system, the system was letting things not become the truth because that's you know, the deals they'd signed, the, the lawyers they'd got in at certain times. And so Sally Yates is only, you know, she is the law, but the law is corrupt in a way. And so these, these clubs were operating in a way which basically said not being able to be sued, litigation, non-disclosure agreements are more important than the player's being able to not be abused. So it's again, it's these these clubs know how to use the system and the system isn't helping the player. Yeah, and who knows India more than a lawyer like Sally It's right? Like, right, and so she was calling it out. She was just saying, oh, these clubs didn't want to cooperate and they kept telling me like, oh, I actually can't give you this document because it's, it would abuse another document that I signed. So it's, you know, Sally Yates is sitting there saying like, oh yeah, this is, you know, no more end like we can't don't keep doing this but she can't go back in time you know what i mean she can't go back in time and rip up those ndas yeah no i i completely get it but i just want to know if during her press conference did you feel that sort of frustration from her that absolutely like, i i just couldn't i wanted it like that would have been so essential for the report but I mean, the laws. Oh, the absolutely. Law. She was amazing in the press conference. You know, she, she's very level headed. You know, she's very intelligent, quite calm woman. But she, you know, she spoke of frustration. She spoke of, you know, consistently being told not she couldn't have things that she would then have to kind of work around. Or, you know, as a lawyer, you have to change your language to make sure what you're asking for isn't, you know, breaking the law of whatever that they're telling you you can't have. So she was very level headed. But Again, I think what she was focusing on and she, the way she explained this was patterns. You know, what can I see that one person or multiple people are doing that is happening again and again and again? And if non-disclosure agreements and systems of secrecy are something that's coming up over and over again, then that's something the US soccer needs to change. And, um, you know, like, like an, another thing that came up was one of the coaches didn't have a US soccer license. He wasn't even, that was something the NWSL said all their coaches must be licensed. And one of the coaches that was working there got a, you know, a, a waiver that said, oh, it's okay that he doesn't have a license. So again, laws that were in place weren't being upheld. And even the laws that were in place were not helping people. So it's, again, it's, it's, it's patterns, it's, it's this kind of thing. And I think, you know, Yates, was, isn't, she's not in the press room, she wasn't particularly fiery. So I wouldn't say she was, you know, damning or, uh, you know, overly emotional, but she was raging. But she was yeah. saying she was she was frustrated. She was saying, "I, you know, these players do not have X and, and X and Y because they're not they're not being supported by at the top level." So, you know, she spoke very well. And, and like, I think what was funny, you know, and you were saying it like, why, you know, why couldn't you get more in there? She herself was like, "I needed to publish this. Like, it needed to come out." But I, you know, I could have been working on it forever. Almost is what she said. And you and you don't want to risk delaying it to the point where exactly. everyone exactly. sort of forgets about it. And this is right now, it's been a year. I think, it's peak. Been a year. Yeah, and also you've hit the right time. Like I mentioned, what's happening in Spain with that with that story going on? This fits and in, ties in perfectly with you know the recent sort of stories going on in women's football with all of this. And it's it's great that she's come out and publicly said it come come out with the report as well and yeah it'll be interesting to see how well it goes and that will come to in a little while later there's also a documentary that's coming out truth be told i think is that going already, to so it came with, out last week yeah. it came out last week yeah truth be told to be fair is very well made you know espn do a good job but it it's a little bit more like the athletic article okay so it's not as much really the Yates report. It's more like the athletic article. It's 
it's mostly about um, Mana Shim and Sinead Fagel. All right, fair enough. Um, all right, uh, the other sort of stakeholder that we didn't consider in our last episode were the sponsors, who have now been probably coming to the forefront after the after this report's been published and with all the new new stories. Uh, you know, there are a lot of sponsors who've threatened football clubs in the NWSL by saying that if they don't, you know, take care of the players or if they engage in these malpractices that they will pull it out. I just want to know how important a step that is from like how important is it that the sponsors have come out and have been pretty vocal about this. And I given that I don't know much about how much of a percentage share in revenue sponsorship has in the NWCL. So how important is it that someone like a Nike or a Puma or someone like that come out and say, you know, you guys get better get your shit together. Otherwise, I will pull out all my funding and I don't know what will happen to you guys. I think it's massive. I think it's hugely important. That's the, you know, the world we live in. Money talks. Uh, sponsors are everything to some extent. Um, Nike actually made quite a soft statement. They didn't quite say, we'll pull all our funding. They just said, you know, oh, we're, we're making, you know, we want to see changes is sort of what they said. Um, I think Alaska Airlines, you know, one of the biggest sponsors for the Portland Thorns and uh, Portland Timbers, they were the ones who said for the next quarter, so for the next three months, we're not giving any money to the club. We're going to give it directly to the Players Association. That was probably one of the biggest moves we saw. Uh, Show and Williams, which is a paint company, kind of retailer, paint retailer in, in, in Louisville, they also said, hey, we're pulling, we're pulling funds. Um, so we did see some some big companies make noise, and I think that got a lot of attention. I also think, you know, you talk about a year ago with the Athletic Report, we didn't see too many sponsors pull out then. So this is maybe the bigger change. Is spon- you're now seeing money kind of get redirected, which, you know, again, money talks. I wish it wasn't that way. Um, but I think the sponsors are really being heard, and that will make people in power, U.S. soccer, club owners, that will make them make changes. So, again... Why is it taking a year? Because this article came out a year ago. So why did they wait so long? Because this is something we should have probably seen a year ago, or at least the that should have probably started the process. Maybe throughout the year we could have seen a a few more sponsors come out and publicly say. Is it because it's become so internationally public and famous that they're doing this? Is it another PR stunt for sponsors to come out and not want to lose their own brand? worth I, I this is all speculative but just asking like no i think it's a good question i think it's always a bit of pr work if you're a sponsor i mean i look don't, don't, no, i mean that's harsh these sponsors are real people i'm sure they are absolutely horrified by the things in the report but there's plenty of times in life people don't you know we, we can be horrified by something but what can we really do about it you know like i i'm not at all happy with climate change but i'm not necessarily in the streets doing spending every waking minute trying to stop climate change you know i try my best and i think sometimes sponsors are like that too you know they put out a statement they put something on social media but at the end of the day they're there to make money um yeah, that you sounds should probably cynical. go out to more you should go out to more art museums and throw soup on paintings i know i'll be in the next art museum with the, with the tomorrow too but my point is like yes it's pr but if you do redirect money that also means something like i think it, it can be both you can have a heart and it's also PR and you do the right thing. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm cynical, but I'm not that cynical. Um, on the why did it take a year thing? I think, you know, we go back to where it started. So Yates is a big name. It's an independent investigation by a very well-recognized lawyer in the United States. This feels, you know, real. It feels concrete. It feels unargued, you know, in, inexcusable. There's, I think Meg Linehan's reporting, and you should go and read the original piece in Athletic, that was enough for me. I didn't need the extra evidence, but for maybe these bigger, these bigger things, that was, you know, you needed a Sally Yates, you needed an independent, independent investigation to get, you know, big moves. And we've obviously seen the owner of the Portland Thorns step down as CEO. There's no sign that he'll not be the owner, but he's not on the board. He's not in the boardroom. He's not making any decisions anymore. And we've seen the same in Chicago. Uh, the owner of the Chicago Red Stars is no longer the CEO or in the boardroom of the Chicago Red Stars. Again, no news yet on whether or not they will be forced to sell the club, but they've been asked to step away. But again, you know, we go back to money talks. They still own the club, so they're still getting the checks. Um, yeah, I think I think that the, the name Sally Yates made a big deal. 
the international kind of appeal. But yeah, having this report that is so thorough and so detailed, I think it, it really pushed it over the edge, even if the journalism last year was, you know, was fantastic and, and, and I think had a lot to it as well. All right, fair enough. Now let's move on to the recommendations and we probably tackle each one separately. And I, okay. I suppose some of them can be club, but we'll talk about them separately and find out what it probably, what the changes or what impact it will bring about to the, to US soccer probably focusing a little more on the NWSL as well. So let's start off with the first recommendation, and that is changing coaching licenses from a one-time diploma to an accreditation program. So basically certification, proper certification for coaches. I wasn't aware that it's a one-year diploma course for a coaching. It just seems quite minimal mm-hmm. that you have that sort of a, a program currently in place? There's multiple courses. So, you know, there's like A, there's like Pro ABC. Do you know what I mean? So you okay. could end up doing like four yeah. years to get okay. each to, to get each diploma. There's like multiple diplomas. But yes, each diploma is sort of like a year. Okay. And now the recommendations move to an accreditation program. So what does that mean now? Is it is it something like what the FIFA has with in or in yes. Europe or something like that. Yes, it'll be sort of like they'll be overseen by a different group of people who say like you need to put you need to do this, you need to do this to make the certificate better, essentially. Which actually we heard Juan Carlos Amaras, who's the head coach at Houston Dash, talk about that this week because he is UEFA certified and US soccer certified. He's done both his badges. And he was talking about the differences, especially in regards to safeguarding um young children uh from kind of overstepping the mark of coaches or, or sexual abuse. He's, he felt like UEFA was doing a better job. Wow. And that's saying something. And that's saying I'm not a huge you know, fan of UEFA. No, I was going to say, you know, these are, none of these groups are really, you know, doing great. Yeah. But kudos to, uh, for, to UEFA for at least taking that much of small a basic kudos, human decency. Small decent. kudos. <laughs> yeah, small kudos. Uh, all right. The next one is enforcing existing requirements for life. So I'm guessing that current coaches will have to undergo the same program. Yeah, well, and also I think some coaches were getting away with not, like there were existing protocols that weren't being met. Christy Holly, coach of Louis, didn't have a license and he was coaching the end of the cell. So not only reviewing who is in the league right now, but making sure, you know, the rules are being followed. Okay, Uh, is there a timeline for something like this? I'm not sure, I haven't mentioned this. That's a great question. No timeline. Uh, (laughs) Sydney Pollock-Cone who also gave a, spoke to the media a couple of weeks ago. She's the head of U.S. soccer. She did, she's already had meetings with the U.S. women's national team and the league. She's been proactive. So I know she is actively trying to get these recommendations across the line, but we haven't had a timeline. But I know the, you might come to it, the coalition, the committee that's going to be set up to oversee some of this. I know that that, that, that is already being put in place right now. So some of these are happening right now, but there isn't necessarily a timeline. All right, fair enough. As, as long as she's proactive, that works for me for now. She's been proactive. Uh, she's the been proactive. next one. All right, great. The next one is requiring a an annual training on abuse, sexual misconduct, harassment, and retaliation. Again, I think that's straightforward. This makes is something well similar to, yeah, it makes extreme sense. So this is something similar to what the Premier League is also doing right now or has at least put out there that they're going to do sexual orientation training for players because of you know the recent stories out there in the Premier League um, with with regards to sexual harassment, sex, sexual abuse. Now the thing is, the funny fact is the Premier League had put out an article saying that they would do that, or rather, uh, third-party articles had had come out saying that the Premier League was supposed to do that, but it was released during a time where during the summer end of the summer transfer window. So pretty clever on Premier League to kind of hush that. If they wanted to hush it up or keep it, go, uh, let it go under the radar, that was the perfect time to push it. I did an episode on that and I seem to be the only one who, who, who had actually read up on it or who had actually caught that article. Because everyone who I asked if they'd like to be a part of the episode, they were like, I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. Like, I've never come across it. I don't know what you're talking about. When does this? When was this announced? Uh, I mean, they were all for it. No one's saying no. But every time I ask them, would you like to be an episode? It's like, I don't know what to talk about. I have no clue about what you're talking about. Like, I have no clue. And, uh, yeah, it just seemed 
so weird that the Premier League would do something like that. And I'm glad that here it's so much more public and it's in a really important report saying that, you know, this is, has to be done. Uh, the Premier League could have just put out a report. Again, there was no timeline on that as well. They didn't, they didn't even say what it was. They just said that it'll be better than workshops. I, I don't know what, if you've heard anything else to what these trainings would be because, you know, workshops could go either way. You know, we've seen good workshops being done. We've seen workshops where you think it's just an off uh, day off or something. So any, any word on how comprehensive no word again. It's probably too soon. Paolo Cohn, the yeah, the head of the US soccer, is proactive. She says she's going to, you know, she's working on it. But I don't think we're going to see this in the near near future. I think it'll be you'll be judged kind of a year from now to see how things have changed. Um, that would be my guess. And from a fan perspective, or just from a human being's perspective, what would you expect in those training sessions? Like, what do you think should happen during that? Like. And it should. And what do you think? It's only limited to coaches and staff, or you think it will be a an entire you know a club gets one day of proper. I mean, each club gets one day of proper training with everyone. I think. I mean, I think it's going to be a little bit of everything because I think the coaches will have their own one, and they might the coaches might be doing multiple one. There might be one for each club. Might be one day, like you said, and that's like across the board. This is you know what should and shouldn't happen. The coaches are going to have different ones, I think, because of those licenses are given out by U.S. soccer. So U.S. soccer will be chasing those coaches with those licenses to make sure they've had a different training. And so the yearly ones might be more based by club, but the coaches will probably be expected to renew whatever you know uh, education they had as part of those licenses. So I think it'll be a little bit of both. We, we heard Casey Stoney in the build-up to the playoffs talk about relationships between players and coaches and how she's not a fan of it if she believes it shouldn't happen at any level and that if it's happening at her club she would ask one of the people to leave um she thinks it's improper and so i think you know we might also see not as official rules being made but certain clubs might kind of come up with their own rules that's the other thing and you're going to see u.s soccer is maybe just giving out these trainings and the clubs also do their own trainings or their own rules so again it's a little bit to be decided but i think in a hopeful way i think we will see these trainings become pretty severe um i like to think so anyway you know you talk about the fans i do have belief talking to these coaches talking to these clubs that they are going to make big changes in regards to what you can and can't do um for behavior within these clubs to these players the way you need to speak to them the way you need to act with them what kind of behavior is, is okay and not okay i think that is going to change um, I think what's hard, and we saw a couple of instances of this last week, is there's, there's older players, older coaches, who maybe things were normalized for them. And so they're looking at some of these things and being like, oh, people are overreacting. And there's a little bit of tension there. Um, I don't necessarily want to name any names, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how younger players, younger coaches, people owning NWSL clubs right now or any football club, wants to change the culture where maybe for the older generation, stuff that we don't want anymore was, was normalized. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I hope for that too. And I'm, I'm going to keep a, an eye out for this and the Premier League to see if it, because I'm the only one who... Yeah, I didn't know too much about the Premier League thing. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah. I, think you're, I think you're right. It was, they, they buried it at a time when it's hard to keep track of it. Um, you know, the NWSL, obviously it's such a big story. And I think, you know, they did a good job of getting Yates to do it. And Yates did a big press conference, which I was at. And, and, and you know, they've, they've made it a real thing that I think everyone is going to hold them accountable. Honestly, I saw the first article of the Premier League come out and I was like, okay, this is going to be huge. I'm going to wait for it to blow up, at least by the Athletic. Someone big would actually pick it up. Uh, and then it, nothing just nothing happened for at least over a month. I had I had the story planned for early August. Uh, when it had just come out and then I, something I was uh, caught up with some other work and some other stuff and a month and a half later and that was still the only article that was out there and I was it just I just couldn't believe that you know something like that could have been buried so deep in I mean it's typical Premier League as well but I just come on I mean something that important given that there have been even during the pre, during the transfer window there were stories about the Arsenal player being uh, you know, detained by the police and all of that. So, 
it was it was horrifying so i'm, I'm glad that there's at least some hopefully that there's something going to be done for the nwcl here and i'll keep an eye out for the premier league one as well uh, the next one is pretty straight, straightforward, which is revoking licenses of anyone who commits uh, yeah. misconduct or fails to act. I think I suppose that should be something that is immediately implemented rather than you wait long enough for it. Um, yes, so, no, and this is actually something we've seen a little bit of action on. So all the people in the report had their licenses revoked. That's no surprise. But we've also seen something interesting, which is, so like I said, the NWSL has its own investigation right now just mm-hmm. into the league, not into anything in US soccer or youth soccer. And Amanda Cromwell, who was the coach of the Orlando Pride, was accused and subsequently found guilty by an independent investigation of uh, abuse, improper behavior, and retaliation against her players. She has had her license revoked, um, and she has to, and if she wants to coach in the end of Russell again, or in US soccer, she's going to have to do some education and some classes. And so we're kind of seeing the first signs that we are going to see repercussions, and this is going to be enforced. Um, She's sort of the first person outside of this report where we've seen that go into place. Um, so that is interesting. And I, like I said, I think in five weeks, we might see a little bit more of this where coaches are having licenses revoked or they have to go through training again and, and kind of learn more. The surprising thing, or rather the more interesting part of that was it's it seems to be more rehabilitation thing where you are revoked, the license is revoked, but if you want to join back, it's sort of you have to do education, you have to be trained in that or it's not like you you're barred forever you can't do it uh, you can't I mean come that's, back to the end of that's a philosophical question about you know society and do we want to let you know can people change should they come back in yeah. I think I think yeah. there's I mean that's a, I, I don't have the answer to that question you know I think it's different you know some some people what, what would be, you say as a fan or as a journalist would you like to give them a second chance given if they were to do the training like we mentioned or they were to do the UFS sort of sort of accreditation program would you like to give them a second chance or you think they've I mean this has gone unnoticed for quite a while now so yeah I think it depends on what they did you know some actions I think are less like it's harder to get your faith back in someone for depending on what they did and, and are they remorseful yeah. do they see the error of their ways and I think the sad thing about Amanda Cromwell who just like I said was just um suspended and had and has been told she has to go through rehabilitation she her statement that she put out upon that news being made public was i was mischaracterized people you know this report wasn't done in good faith none of it she didn't quite say none of it is true actually which is interesting um again going into the legality but she sort of said the facts had been changed to make her look a certain way she didn't necessarily deny the allegations which was kind of interesting but she said like you know people you know there's more to the story is sort of what she said and i guess if you if someone is accused of something and they say oi you know f off you're not yeah. you're not characterizing me right then i don't necessarily want to give that person a second chance they're not saying you know i've done something wrong or i was a part of a system that i didn't even realize i was doing something wrong you know there's there's different ways to to rehabilitate someone. fair enough uh yeah i probably agree with you on that i think there are yeah, I suppose it, it does vary from case to case. It's not a generalized statement that you can make that saying that anybody who commits a crime would, uh, or anybody who commits one of those misconduct has to, is barred forever. I think some people probably genuinely do need that education. Uh, we don't know how their upbringing is and all of that. So that we'll decide on a case to case basis, hopefully. Uh, the next one is the NWSL conduct swift investigations into abuse and uh bar teams from investigating themselves so i'm guessing this would mean that more independent uh, autonomous regulator i mean uh, yeah exactly this is about getting people like sally yates or someone less well known to do the work for you you know it's about it's not having the nwsl just investigate themselves or you know theo investigate theo because i'm not going to do a very <laughs> good job which is what a lot of this happened so in 2015 going back to the athletic report the portland thorns investigated themselves you know, when Manashim made that complaint in 2015, the yeah. Port Thorn said, hey, we'll deal with it. What happened? Nothing. So I think it, again, what Sally Yates was saying is, hey, there's a system here where everything's being covered up, nothing's being done. We can't have that anymore. Uh, and from a, from a money perspective, I mean, that obviously would mean that a lot has to be spent on it. I'm guessing these independent whatever, investigators won't come cheap. I don't know how well the finances are. 
for in, you know how much it costs to get an investigation? Yeah, just to cost stuff for an investigation. I mean, Sally Yates probably costs a lot of money. Uh, I don't know about I don't know <laughs> but, about some of the other ones. Yes, yeah, so I'm guessing it won't be Sally Yates material for every sort of it, uh, investigation no, that the end. That's U.S. soccer flexing their muscles. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, I, th- um, I think it's okay. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this one because the other one's also similar to investigations where you have surveys and maintaining confidential reporting line. That's fine. But enforcing a professional league standard and uh, you know penalties and all. I suppose that also comes into being an independent. Is that an independent party that would oversee the NWSL and be in charge for only cases like this, like the one that you were mentioning, or is this something different? Yeah, I think this is where, you know, the NWSL is creating, the NWSL has been independent since 2020, and so now it's creating its own policies. Um, time will tell how good those policies are. Um, the U.S. Soccer Federation has, upon the Sally Yates report, as part of a recommendation, has created a new committee to police player safety. So it's sort of like a collaboration between those two. The NWSL is going to come up with policies, and the U.S. Soccer will have someone to oversee this and make sure that players players feel safe and Sally Yates recommended that every club has someone called a safety officer and that person sort of reports to the committee and makes sure the policies are being followed. Um, so that's sort of a new position which everyone, every club would essentially be hiring, which is one person who's, who knows the policies and makes sure the policies are being enforced and then there'll be the US Soccer Committee to oversee it. Sounds like a lot of new people, sounds like a lot of kind yeah. of jargon and words, but this is where we're at. Yeah, the... The issue that I always have with like people saying you should have an overseeing or a committee overseeing this is like, then who will see oversee that committee if they don't do a good enough job? Right. And then you have who will oversee that. So again, it's all about the right personnel being there. Hopefully, if they need to be the right appointments in those positions, because this is a very sensitive thing. Like you cannot have, you know, random people with no licenses basically going into those positions and trying to do any sort of job. All right, so let's talk about the last and the last thing I have to ask ask you for this particular episode and this whole topic is going forward, say maybe a year down the line, how many of those recommendations do you actually see being implemented and how how much of a change do you foresee in US soccer or at least in the NWSL going forward, at least for a year down the line? I mean, we just spoke a little bit about the licenses being revoked and changes in that. I feel pretty confident. I feel I think we are going to see pretty categorical change there. I think we're seeing action already on some of the other stuff. You know, I don't know. I, I think the clubs are you know are better off now than they were a year ago without play, player safety officers or this committee. I think these are good ideas. Um, I don't know where they'll be, what they'll look like in a year, but I think the problem is where are we in a year? Some of these patterns and behaviors for the people who already have them might still be there. And they, again, if they're rooted in youth soccer, none of this work, none of this change is going to go into youth, into youth soccer. It's all going to go into you know, the top level professional women who have the most power and the NWSL because those are the people who are taking back control. For all the young kids out there, the NCAA, uh, you know, American universities, I think there's still going to be a lot of issues. Where are we in a year for some of those coaches? I don't know. I think we get all. So got a lot bit, of work are you a bit surprised? Are you a bit surprised that that wasn't involved? That wasn't the, a part of the report and, and the recommendations, at least, given that she did make it a point that it is youth level. Again, how many how many hours can you employ Sally Ace for? She said, "I you know I, I I I see youth soccer as the root of all this evil, and yeah. I cannot go and investigate." youth soccer and, and okay. to, to be fair her recommendation was if you come up with a format a, a structure a skeleton at the top level that will you know you can change youth soccer Trickle over down. time yeah, exactly okay. I, I guess where i'm saying is where will we be in a year i think we're going to keep hearing story i think it's going to i don't think we're going to be we're going to be better off but we're not going to be that much better off i guess is what i'm trying to say it's going to take a long time to get rid of some of this behavior are we going to see any big sponsor pull out given any incident is there going to be that big change or that big incident where a sponsor says enough? Like I'm just pulling it out. I know we've seen already. I, I don't think so. Few, but I don't think so because okay. what we've kind of seen consistently, at least in the NWSL, maybe it would be different at, at US Soccer, but at the NWSL, 
we've seen sponsors say we want to support these players and if we pull money it might hurt the players and so i think there's a bit of tension there and you're seeing this tension in portland where people don't want to come to the games anymore because they don't want to give the money to the owner but the players are saying please come to the games we need your support exactly. so again we're trapped in this society where if the owners are getting the sponsorship money and they're giving the sponsorship money to us we kind of don't want the sponsors to stop giving the money but we don't want the owners to get the money oh. so <laughs> one vicious cycle. The... it's a bit of a vicious yeah. cycle so i don't think the sponsors are going to pull out i think they can make better statements and they can, you know, Alaska Airlines is, is, is not giving any money to Portland. They're just giving it to the players for the next three months. It's only three months. But I think we won't see them pull out fully. I think we're going to see more money come in. And, and, and like we said at the beginning of the show, we're going to see a, a better league. We're going to see better players. These players are playing incredible football. And, you know, they, they're going to be safer, better off, more empowered and feel better mentally because of the changes they get made. Awesome. And I think that's the best part to end or the best time to end it on a positive note, given that we started off on a positive with the Houston Dash game. And I think we do, we have to end it on a positive note of hope, of hopeful and optimistic change in the near future for the, for US soccer in general and in particular the NWSL. Uh, thank you, Theo, for being a part of this episode. I was glad that we could have this. Um, you know, follow-up episode to last year and hopefully in the near future we have you on for more happy, more optimistic, more delightful topics in the world of football and uh, we don't have to revisit this the sad, morose one in the near, I mean, probably the next time we meet. So thank you once again for coming on here. It was a pleasure talking to you about the Yates Report and I can't wait to host you in the near future. All the best, mate. Cheers. Keep watching the football. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you to those of you who are watching us on YouTube or listening to us on the podcast. If you're watching us, please do hit the like button, comment down below, share with friends and family, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and go ahead and check us out on uh, various podcast platforms. This series is also available on an audio version, so you can check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. You name it, we're there. Check us out on Instagram or on Twitter. The links will all be in the description, are in the description here and will be in the end of the video. So that's about it for episode number five of season four of the FFS series. I'm your host, Praddy, once again. You stay safe and see you.